as I was saying, this isn't, <coughs> this is not the happiest pasuk in Davening to talk about. We've been gradually moving in this direction. In any case, it starts to get better from here on out. But for this week, um, if anything, it, it reflects the reality of what we're living through at this moment in time. So there is some comfort, as, as we'll see. There is some comfort in that as well, even though it's not a happy, happy state to think about. Um, there's comfort in knowing that it, it has meaning as well. Um, so last week's pasuk was Hishamru lachem penivte levavchem v'satem v'avadetem Elohim achirim v'ishtachavizamohem. And this week <coughs> is the follow-on to that, meaning a turn away from Torah, intentional or unintentional. Um, having a lot, and because you have a lot, forgetting to turn to Hashem. Um, turning to foreign ideas and believing that they explain what has happened, subjugating ourselves to foreign powers, which can be anything from our own power. Um, it can even be our own spiritual power, right? Rav Schwab spoke about the, you know, almost like the bitter, bitter tragedy of um, a person who's, who's davening and shuckling and hearing the sound of their voice. They're not talking to God. They're enjoying their own prayer. Um, I'm saying they, we. <laughs> um, davening even without, without kavana, not lacking. We can daven meaning the words and forget we're standing before God. And if we forget we're talking to Hashem when we're davening, then who are we talking to? Except that I always have, to have a completely opposite feeling on this, that I'm, I'm not talking to Hashem here. He's talking to me. Oh, that's also okay. <laughs> that's also, that's, it's more than okay because I think I mentioned this last week. The Torah is Hashem talking to us. And tefillah is us talking to right. Hashem. Right. And, and, and in Kriya Shema, this is also Talmud Torah. It's Lima Torah. So Hashem is talking to us. That's okay. When you're saying Shema, that, that is what you're doing. Yeah. You're being, there's an avoda, which is part of what makes it also prayer. There's an avoda of the accepting and the listening. Right. I saw something very beautiful. I don't know if we said this ourselves when we learned about Shalsani Kirtzono. But in the discussion of Ratzon, what is Ratzon? Um, mentioned that the Ratzon is closely tied to Dibor. That's kind of what we were talking about with Rav Tzadok. Speech and will um, are very closely tied together. The prayer, the, the chafza, you know, of the prayer is the speech and the, the ikr of the prayer is the Ratzon. Um, but the, the flip side of that is Shmiya, is listening. So listening... What happens when you listen, when you really hear somebody? So their words that they speak are an expression of the will, the ratzon that's in their mind. And when you hear them, you receive that into your mind. 
And the, the highest form of listening, and it comes out in several places in Rashi's explanation of, like when it says, because you listen to my voice, mm-hmm. then you will be a holy nation and things like that. Um, the listening over there, Rashi explains, is nisratsa, like it became, like you were pleased with it, but it means that you willed it. It becomes your will. When, when it's, it's the opposite, it's the other end of the same process of speaking is listening, is receiving the sound, and not just a sound, but actually hearing the meaning of it and letting that become, affect your will and what, what, you, what you wish and what you think is correct and the whole pattern. Um, we're saying that. Ah, so this is the, it, w- over here, it's okay to be listening. That's Shema Yisrael, Hashem Okeinu Hashem Echad, and we're receiving from Hashem, and we're, we're supposed to be doing Kabbalah. Kabbalah, kab- over here, Kabbalah's mitzvahs, the previous paragraph, Kabbalah's Malcha Shemayim, that's, that's, uh, that's a process of hearing, mm-hmm. essentially. Okay, but, but he's explaining the verse of guard yourself lest your heart be swayed and you go serve other gods. I mean, what is Hashem telling us about over here? And even what Rav Schwab's point is, is that a person could fall into that trap even not by throwing himself at the feet of a totem pole. Is it? Right? Even, even when he stands there and he, he thinks he's davening and the world thinks he's davening. And he's all into it. But in his mind, he's not talking to God. He's just, I don't know. He's a chazan, he's singing, he's great. He's talking about the chazanim who sing for the audience, right? It's, uh, he's singing to somebody else. Vechara, Rav Hirsch says vechara means burning. Vechara af Hashem bochem. God's anger will burn, or sometimes they'll say be kindled. Bochem, within you. Ve'otzar es hashamayim, and he will stop or close the heavens. And there will not be rain. And the earth will not give of its produce. And you will be gone or destroyed. But it doesn't mean here that they're dying. They'll be, they'll be lost from it. They'll be wiped out from Mehera quickly. From on the land, Hatova, the good land. Asher Hashem no Seinachem, which God is giving to you. So, today's project is a little bit, a little bit to understand the words. What's the meaning of the pasuk? Not just the translation word by word, but what what is it describing? And furthermore, how do we relate to that? So, some of, I mean, the bulk of how we relate to it will be in the coming weeks when we talk about. The response was some But in the meantime, we, we before we get to there, we still have to deal with recognizing when we're on the other end of the haranaf and what that what that tells us. How do we react to that? Okay. First thing is, God's anger will be kindled in a person that usually means a 
some kind of loss of control. So it's difficult for us to understand what that would mean. I mean, kas, certainly, we say is, is like a type of avodazara. Because the definition of anger, which here, charon uh, so how is that different from kas, right? Um, kas, we know that when a person has kas, it's a feeling that there's a difference between what I think should be and what is. Therefore, what I think should be, I'm, I'm saying that that defines what ought to be. My opinion is the definition of what should be the reality. And so anger that's, that comes out there, that's, uh, that's a kind of a vodazara also. I mean, I'm worshiping, I'm, I'm thinking that the power, that the decision, that the one who knows right or wrong is me instead of God. So what could it possibly mean if Hashem is angry? It can't be that things are different than the way God wants them to be, per se. I mean, we could say that this isn't... Usually when we say that something is not Hashem's ratzon, so what we're saying is it's not the way he would prefer it to be. That God's ratzon is that we should choose him and we should choose what is right. And those choices, regardless of how the outcomes are, the outcomes will always ultimately lead to God's will one way or the other. But, but choosing against him, this is where there can be a difference. And Rav says, This is an example of the Torah speaking in the language that people understand. And we talked about this in terms of mashalim, the need for visual, um, visual analogies that we need a physical world around our physical bodies in order that we understand spiritual ideas. We would never understand those ideas if we did not. Um, we had this conversation at the Shabbos table also last week. <laughs> we wouldn't understand the spiritual concepts if we didn't have a physical representation. So the fact that people get angry is something that gives us a, at least a starting point to think about that's called the Torah speaking the language of people. It doesn't mean that Hashem had, God forbid, any kind of loss of control, that he's doing something against his better reasoning, if only he would stop to think. Right? That, that we, we, should, we would never say or suggest, or it wouldn't occur to us to say such a thing. The Torah understands. But it's giving us a visual image based upon what we do have experience with and what we do recognize in order for us to have as a starting point. The Rambam in Mor Nevuchim says that this terminology, Haron Af, this specific term, it's not Kas, Haron Af, this somehow kindling or burning, is used in terms of Hashem only in connection with Avodah Zarah. It is very specific and unique to this, and in fact, in our case, the previous verse said, Guard yourselves lest your hearts be swayed and you turn off the road and you serve other gods, strange gods, uh, not strange, uh, non-gods, right? And, and worship them and serve them. And so the response is, Hashem. This is something that in the case of Hashem is only considered uh, in connection with Avodah Zarah. It's a response specifically to that. And it could be that what I said before is, is a little bit of an explanation for that, because everything is in God, God's hands. He leaves for us our choices. And so that choice, this is the ultimate choice. Do I choose, 
towards God? Do I choose some other thing? This is the only place where you could suggest that there's such an idea, that something is different from God's will, is that which he allows us, that he, he for his own reasons, and for, according to what is good to him, has decided to leave in our power, which is that choice, which is really mostly in our mind. Furthermore, Rav Schwab says, quoting the Rambam, what does Charonaf describe? It describes application of Midas Hadin without the mitigation of Midas Arachmin. Now we know that the world, in the state that it is in now, cannot survive in that with just Midas Hadin. And that leads to destruction. This idea is, this is the, the basic definition that will be helpful for us in this puzzle. The Charon Af of Hashem appears to lead to the Otsaras Hashemayim. He will close the heavens. Rabbi Schwab translates that as restrain the heavens, hold them back. Velo Yihiyamatar, and there will be no rain. <clears throat> and he says the truth is it's kind of two phrases. You could have said, V'char af Hashem b'chem, v'lo yiyeh matar. Or you could have said, V'char af Hashem b'chem, hashemayim, and we would have understood that the restrained heavens would not release rain. And what this tells us is that it is, um, this is a phenomenon that is, that's interesting. It's a phenomenon that's happening on multiple levels. Therefore, there will be a closing, a meteorological closing of the heavens. There will be no rain. Lo yiyamatar. But furthermore, even when you daven for rain, the atzar the heavens will be closed. The tefillas will be unanswered, at least for a while. Let me just, I'm just going to flag that. Now, there's another thing that happened over here in this Pasuk, which was that up until now, in this paragraph, everything was, uh, what do you call it, first person? Uh, it's not, no, it's not. It's not a question of first person. It's who's speaking. The voice is the voice of Hashem, so to speak. So, if you listen to my mitzvot, which I am commanding you today. It continues with the you, but I will give you rain in the right time. And I like your new fashion. And I will give you grass in the fields, and you'll eat. And then watch out that you shouldn't do a Vodazara. Morning. You came into a very heavy topic, mommy. <laughs> Watch out, and now all of a sudden, af Hashem bochem. That's very interesting. The truth is, I don't understand exactly the Rambam because Chara af Hashem is using Hashem's name of Rachamin. Mm -hmm. So I don't really understand. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, it's no longer I and you. It's Hashem and you. 
and he'll close the heavens, which is even a more distant thing. Like, they don't even have Hashem's name. It doesn't say Hashem, Otseras Hashemayim. It's just, and he'll close the heavens, and there won't be rain, and the land won't give. I mean, right? And even when it comes back, you'll be kicked off the land, which God is giving to you. Now, the truth is, in the next Pasuk, it's going to jump back again. My words. But in this Pasuk, we don't hear God's voice talking to us. And that is, in fact, um, I did not notice that insight, but I will add on and say this is the consequence of the chait. I think this is obvious. It's not me adding anything to it, actually. <laughs> okay. The fact that we turned away from Hashem, mm-hmm. worshiping Elohim Acherim, right, which we said they are, they like have their backs turned. There's nothing. There's no, you're not talking to anybody. And what we end up with is a situation of the outside of we, we don't hear God talking to us. It feels like God is not here in our presence. That is, that is the underlying state of the har afasham bachem v'otzar sashamayim v'lo yim atar v'adam alosite sivula v'avatzeh meher me'al aretz v'kol asher asham nusayim lachem the underlying state is a state where in the best case you know it's Hashem acting in the worst case you don't even know that you have the otzar sashamayim v'lo yim atar v'adam alosite sivula v'avatzeh meher you could go through all those words and not hear God being behind it at all God's at the beginning, God's at the end, and you have to know that. But you can't hear that he's talking to you. Okay, so... It's, it's my opinion, and I believe it's backed up uh, more than... I don't believe I'm starting with my opinion. I believe I came to this opinion from what the sources are telling us. Although they don't always say it absolutely explicitly. My understanding, putting all the pieces, these pieces together and other pieces that we've seen before, is that when you look at the problem, you also usually can see where your solution is. Um, there, there is a bit of a hint there to how we need to react, for our own sake, <laughs> to that situation, to Haronaf. Um, and there's a tremendous tension there. It's not an easy avoda because the haronaf, which we said the Rambam defines as uh, implementation of midas hadin without the mitigation of midas harachmin, and is associated with avodazara. Uh, that specifically in that state, we feel that there's distance. We don't feel that God is there, and yet the avoda is to turn back to him. And that is exactly when it's the hardest to do it. It's exactly the hardest to do it because you don't even hear him talking to you now. We don't, it doesn't sound like this is something that's calling me closer. Doesn't, I mean, the more we bear the brunt of that pain, the less we feel that it's God calling us closer. We can train ourselves to that. This is, this is the idea of chasar. We talked about it with benching. Um, with Ve'achalta Ve'savata, that exactly where we feel the pain, exactly where we feel the lack, this is where we have to daven. The fact, the fact that we have need 
is God telling us that he wants to hear from us. Hi. Take a deep breath. I wonder, is it maybe tickling? It almost sounds like a, like there's, could the placement be like tickling somehow? Yeah, we have to do something. It's too exhausting all the time. Just think like even having the flu for a day or two with a cough. And it's, you just, it's not even the sickness that wipes you out the cough. Oh, were you sick? I didn't know. Maybe we, maybe we could culture it. Okay. I'll make a note. Of course, they discharged her. <laughs> anyway. Um. Oh, yeah, you should move, move down anyway. Just, just you don't get, get coughed on. <laughs> okay, but you don't need somebody else to cough on you. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's still, you know, normally you cover your cough. Like, <laughs> what can you do? Okay. The, it's, I actually, this is worth taking out. Um, it's a beautiful maharal. It's the Gore Arne. Spoiler alerts, because it's really this coming Parsha. Let's see if I can find it. try and just tell it to you as best as I can remember it. I really like like the language that he used. Which was that a it's Adik Davins for what is Chaser. And it's interesting because we've really had this conversation based on what Rav Schwab taught about Vesavata, but it's not that a tzaddik doesn't ever feel there's something missing. But what is a tzaddik's response to that? So the way Rav Schwab put it is, you fill that in with Yerushalayim. That's your gap for Yerushalayim. The way the Maharal says it is, a tzaddik feels there's a choser, there's something missing, you daven for it. That's the righteous thing to do. You turn to God. And I think this is... You know, it's, it almost sounds obvious when you hear it that way. What do you mean? If you feel you're missing something, daven to Hashem. Of course you should. But you know what? In real life, it doesn't feel obvious. When we feel we're missing, we feel deprived, we feel angry, we feel rejected. We feel all kinds of feelings that turn us away from Hashem. And what we need to do is to say, wait, something hurts? We have to, it takes, we have to train ourselves to think that way, to react that way. 
something hurts, something's missing, I feel a lack, I feel rejected, I feel that I don't hear God calling me anymore, that's all lack, that's all something I'm missing, <clears throat> then my response to that, to what is chaser, should be ratzon, I want it, I will, I want it, that comes out as tefillah. The ratzon of the tzaddik is his tefillah. This is an aspect of tzidkos I think we can all aspire to. <laughs> I don't mean, you know, I realize like when I hear myself, sometimes when you say something, this is what a tzaddik does, so people just feel like, okay, so then it's not for me. <laughs> I'll reject. This is the best possible, like, let's talk about it, this is the righteous thing to do. This is the good thing to do, this is the holy thing to do, and this is the way to achieve closeness to God and to feel happier and to feel that there's a security, whether you're missing or not in the end, but that you feel secure with God instead of rejected, is that the response to a feeling of lack, to a feeling of need, to a feeling of pain, is to realize that that feeling, that painful feeling, that feeling of lack, is the signal that it's time to turn to God and ask and daven and connect to him. And that's why the snake was given the worst punishment. In Gan Eden, the snake was told, lie on your belly, put your face in the dirt, and eat the dirt, and you will never be hungry, and I will never hear from you again. And for us, we're told that now, instead of walking around the garden and pulling off the fruit as we need it, we'll have to sweat to get the earth to give up produce. What does that mean? That means now when you're hungry, you might really get hungry. It's not so easy to get the food out. And so every few hours, you have to turn to God and say a, a blessing. You have to eat. You have to keep it. I mean, you know, there's no, uh, what was that character in The Wizard of Oz who invented the pills? You swallow the pills, and it's a four-course meal. You know, it's not, it doesn't work like that. You feel a need, and you turn to Hashem, and you say, thank you for food. Please give me food. Thank you for the food. You gave me food. And this, the, the fact that we need, and this is why the word choser comes up. It's in benching. It's all over the place. Machsor, right? This is the key. This is the gift. This is a gift. You feel that you need. Therefore, you are reminded. So you're a little alarm clock beeping and reminding you. You say, Siri, remind me to thank God, you know? And instead, we have hunger to remind us to, to thank God and to turn to God. Okay. Pages the other way. That would make it so much easier. I should have thought of that. <laughs> if you, yeah, look at that. Great. Wish I could patent it. Okay. So there is, this is not identical. The passage that we have is actually, in some ways, less extreme than some of the other similar passages. So there's one in Parshas Vayelech. Um, it's brought down, Rav Moshe Eisman brings it in his book, Ramban as a Guide on Hester Panim, on the, when God's face is hidden from us, which is kind of definitely an indicated state, let's say, in this Pasuk, where it's not completely hidden because his name appears, and yet he's not talking to us directly. And we find, I found that he describes this as two phases based on a different passage. He's not talking, per se, about Shema here, but I see that we can learn from what he says over here on Parshas Vayelech. We talked about this passage in Parshas Vayelech a few months ago. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe. Hashem said to Moshe, Hincha shochevim avosecha, 
you will lie with your forefathers when you pass away. This nation is going to get up and uh, Zina, it's going to adulter, I don't know what you say, will be unfaithful to God and go after strange uh, idols. Something there. Hello, Zaini. In in this land where it is going. And they will abandon me and they will break my covenant that I have made with them. Vechara apipo. And my anger, says God, will be kindled against this nation. And I will abandon them. And hide my face from them. And they will fall prey to their enemies. And they will have many evils. And many troubles. And on that day they will say, it is because God is no longer in, our, in my midst that all this evil has found me. And I, says God, on that day I will surely hide my face because of all the wickedness that they have done, that they have turned to other gods. So Rav Eisenman actually takes this Following the approach of the Ramban, it breaks into two phases. They do the Avodah Zarah. Hashem hides his face, and therefore all these things happen to them. That's more similar to what we see here in Shema. He's not gone, but it's, the face is hidden. And the Vavadatem, meaning the Din, starts to be implemented without the rachamim, and that causes burning, that causes destruction. In Vayelech, there's a second phase, which is the people respond to that by saying, God is not in my midst. That's why this happened. And Hashem's response to that is, I shall surely hide my face. Again. You see how it was a second round of hiding that's even more intense than the first one. The first one is, I'll hide my face from them. And then after they say, this all happened because God is not in my midst, a double hiding. Okay. Now, according to the way Rav Eisman brings the Ramban, there's a phase of tshuva in there. When they say, God is not in my midst, they're recognizing that it's because Hashem is not finding favor with us, it's because we've abandoned him, we haven't made him part of our midst, he's not within us, that that's the problem. So there's an element of tshuva there. In which case, all the more so, you're to say, well, then why would that lead to a further hiding and a further feeling of abandonment and an even deeper one, which is not indicated in the Pasuk we're learning in Shema. But it's helpful because it helps us see that it's two phases. And I think one thing we can see from it is, again, a pointer. So how do we not go into the second phase? Meaning, what is the response to the charon af that is demanded of us? Or if not demanded of us, advisable for us. To try and not go into a yet deeper phase of anochi hastir astir. Rabbi Eisman, by the way, suggests that it could be that the days we're in now, this is very much the hastir astir. The, the deepening of the hiding of the face.
and now, now starting now starting after the Second World War. After. After. The the destruction, the terrible evils and destruction, that would be something we saw during the war. This is his suggestion. He says you'd have to be a Navi to know. He uh, doesn't, it's not uh, claiming he's a Navi. He's that saying he's that that um, sorry. I think his suggestion was I'm trying to remember that um, that through that suffering many people did come to realize like we need to reattach ourselves to Hashem and yet we've gone into a phase where the gullus is comfortable but the face of God is very very deeply hidden um, the Ramban's approach is that what does it mean that the face of Hashem is very deeply hidden is that we don't even see the potential for Geula. We don't, it's, it's so hidden, it's not just that God's face is turned away, but that you can't even see that it's there hiding. It's doubly hidden. It's interesting, because right after the Second World War, we got Israel back, so it's, you know, there's something that all the other generation didn't have. Yeah. So, the way he describes it is that because there is some phase of teshuva between these two phases, Hashem's mercy is aroused at that point. And because of his mercy becoming aroused, it is aroused at full strength. But we are not yet at a place to have full strength rachamim turned on us. And therefore it's haster, aster. God has to forcibly hold back showing the degree of rachamim. It's interesting. It's an almost... Uh, paradoxical state that the more intense hiding of God's presence comes from a need to hold back Midas HaRachamim than even the first one which was a Midas HaDin and the Rachamim was not even present he says is it possible we know that our present exile around the world whether in America, Israel or Europe is much much easier to bear I, I don't usually read these kinds of things because I feel like it doesn't always help us that maybe it is and maybe it isn't, and then what? It helps us attribute, but the reason I want to bring it here is because because of what I see from these various sources is our avoda. The avoda of Haran Af, of even in a state of Haran Af, which is much more serious. That's not, that's not chaser, that's not pain. It's something much, much, much more serious. That nonetheless our job is to turn into God. Uh, that came out sounding wrong. Lean in, meaning turn towards God. We still have to do that, even in the pain. That's what we need to do. And because of that, I think it's helpful to consider the possibility that that's what's expected of us right now. So not feeling, certainly, I'm not a Navi, but I'm nowhere close to a Ramosh Eisman, so let me at least let him say, right, that it takes a Navi to know. I lay no claim, he says, to my ideas even being considered seriously, but I will share with you my thoughts. We know that our present exile around the world, whether in America, Israel, or Europe, is much, much easier to bear than were other exiles throughout history. Is it perhaps possible that from the horrors of the Holocaust, a sufficient tshuva was generated, that we collectively said, is it because my God is no longer with me that these evils have befallen me? Is it possible that as a community we have left the earlier Hester Panem behind and are living through the next stage? Could it be that all we have to do 
is to wean ourselves away from the trust which we place in so many and varied idols, and we'll be ready to welcome Mashiach into our midst. You see why I brought it? Because it is helpful. It is helpful. Now, when we learned Parshas Vayelech, we, we explained it a little bit differently. We explained that when the Jews said, God is not in my midst, that's why this all happened. Not that that was a tshuva. It was a different way of explaining it, right? And that this led to an intensification of God's face being turned from us. I mean, when we turn away from Hashem, it leads to a doubling, and again a doubling. We turn away toward the Avodah Zarah, and Hashem's face is hidden from us. That's because we turned away. And if we turn further away, say, well, I'm rejected, I'm right? Then that is redoubled, and that makes it even harder for us. And in this vein, well, let, let's get to that step by step. Okay. Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Akiva came into a big village. And they could hear the sound of the idol worshippers rejoicing and singing and having their, I don't know, carnival or whatever it was. And Rabbi, and you could hear it from far, even outside the city. And Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Gamliel started to cry. And Rabbi Akiva started to laugh. We know this, right? Okay. Maybe not this one, because the other piece is more famous. But it's the same. Same Gemara. And they said to Rabbi Akiva, why are you laughing? And Rabbi Akiva says, why are you crying? And <laughs> what do you mean, why are we crying? Should we not cry when we see that the nations come and they're worshiping Avodah Zarah and they're building altars and they're bowing down to meaningless gods and they're sitting comfortably? They can have a carnival. They can drink. They're not afraid anyone's going to attack them. And this, they're just hanging out and partying here in our country. And at the same time, God's beautiful, the, the mountain that's called God's footrest, right? That he's intimate. He's right there with it, sits comfortably there, is burned in fire and has wild animals living there. And he said, oh, that's why you're crying? <laughs> I saw that. Uh, that. Interesting. I was looking at the same thing. That's why I laughed. Even for that very same thing, that's why I laughed. Because if this is the security that God gives to those who anger him, those who do his will. If, if, if I look at that, Rabbi Kiva says, and I see, wow, they're worshipping idols, they're drinking and carousing and having their, well, just have to read about Greece and Rome. You know what they're doing, right? And nonetheless, God says, let them sit and enjoy. They'll be comfortable. They don't have to worry. They feel secure. Then I can build from that an image of what Hashem would like to give to those who are doing his will. And then another time, they were going up to Yerushalayim, and they came to Haratzofim, and they tore their clothing, and they came to Harabayas, and they saw a fox coming out of the Holy of Holies. And they started to cry, and Rabbi Akiva started to laugh. And they said, Akiva, you're always surprising us. 
We're crying. You're laughing. You're always unexpected. And he said to them, why are you crying? And they said, should we not cry over this place? This place that it says that if a stranger comes near it, he will die. And there's foxes walking out from inside of it. I think that within us, we think that within us is fulfilled the verse, Upon these things my heart cries out in pain. On these our eyes are blinded by the sadness and tears. For heart Zion, which is destroyed, and foxes walk upon it. Woe is unto us that we are the fulfillment of a verse like that. And Rabbi Akiva said, oh, Afani, me, me too. I, I also felt that. That's why I laughed. Such an interesting turn of phrase. Also me, that's why I laughed. It's not, oh, I saw it completely differently than you. I saw it the same as you, but I saw something more than you. It's almost the reverse of the Hester Punim, right? I see the same thing you do, but I see something more than that. I laughed. I said, doesn't the Pasuk say, I bring you trustworthy witnesses, Uriah the Kohen and Zachariah ben Yevarchayahu. And what's with Uriah and Zachariah? Uriah on the first base Hamikdash, Zachariah on the second base Hamikdash said, Oji Yeshvu Zikanim. Zikanim Berachovas Yerushalayim. I think it's Zikanim, Zikanim. This might be a typo. I'll have to look it up. The elderly will still sit in the streets of Jerusalem. Well, if an old person who's weak and can't defend themselves can sit out in the street and enjoy the sun and be outside, it means the streets are really safe. And Uriah said, because of you, the fields will be plowed and Jerusalem will, will be like wiped out like a field. And Hashem said, these are the two witnesses. If the, wit- if the testimony of one is confirmed, then the testimony of the other is confirmed. Otherwise, the entire group of witnesses is worthless. So he said, I was happy because I saw that the words of Uriah were completely fulfilled. And I understood that if the words of Uriah are fulfilled, and they said, you comforted us, you comforted us. I want to show you a different you comforted us also. It's, it's tricky with, with being comforted because the comfort has to come from something that's real, not from just being able to say, ah, oh, so it's not so bad. Because the point is over here really is so bad. It is so bad. But that instead of turning away from it, like Rabbi Akiva, looking into it and seeing something more than that, then we see something we can do, which is to turn further toward Hashem. And in that, there's a comfort. I'm going to bring you a different one. The Pasuk says in Parshish Mishpatim, Every widow and orphan, you must not, Sanun usually means afflict. Rav Hirsch gives an incredibly specific definition. He says, Sanun, the affliction of Sanun, of Inui, is putting someone in treating someone in a way that emphasizes to them or causes them to feel their dependency. Isn't that interesting? Really? Okay. Im'ane sa'ane oso. If you shall afflict them in this way, you hear the doublings. 
I should, I'm going to read the whole Pesach first without a translation, because you have to hear it. Im ki im yitzak shamoa eshma tzakasa. It's never satisfying when somebody explains a pasuk with doublings as saying, yeah, it makes it beautiful. You know, it's like poetic. I never find those explanations satisfying. But I have to say that before even finding out what these doublings mean, it penetrates much deeper because of the way it's written. There's no question. Okay, so if you shall surely afflict them, make them feel their dependent position, if they shall surely cry out to me, then I shall surely listen to their cry. Vichara api. And my anger will be kindled. This is the same idea. Charon af. Vichara af Hashem bochem. Vichara api. My anger will be kindled. Vichoragti eschem becharev. And I will kill you out with a sword. With a blade. Vihayu neshechem almanos uvnechem yesomim. And your wives will be widows and your children will be the orphans. Certainly relevant to our times, not to those specific people. We need to hear. But, but what I want to point out here is the charon af. What what is happening over here? The Torah set is very specific. There is the charon af, which we have said was only really relating to avodazara. According to the Rambam, I don't know how the Rambam explains this puzzle. I don't, I don't know. But looking at Rav Hirsch's explanation of Haron Af, of what this is in a generic sense, this kindling of anger, it's first the first terminology like this is with Cain and Havel, that Cain Vayichar he burned inside of him. Rav Hirsch calls that anger, which an occurrence that we consider wrong provokes in us. I think the word we would use is outrage, real outrage. The word outrage has gotten so overused that we forget what outrage means. And again, atypically for me, yet another atypical thing here, um, I will refer you to a video. It's not Sneas, so for men who hear the share, don't go look for the video. Uh, just it's it's a uh, it's not stainless because the woman is wearing a sleeveless dress, so not appropriate for men uh, unless their wives are there to cover up from the neck down, which is possible. Might be worth it because what what's worth seeing is the face. Um, we just had this massacre in Harnov, and most of the news media was incredibly unsympathetic. Is not the word. Uh, Ignored it completely. And there's a little clip from Fox News uh, of an anchor woman. I don't, I, I know her first name is Megan. That's all I know. Um, she's a woman that if I would meet her in the street, I would judge her badly. This is a sign of me. Because she has a sort of perfect looking face and just gives that impression of superficiality to me. I don't know anything about her. So that would be an example of a weakness that I would judge her like that. And they're showing video of the base medrash there in Harnov. And she almost can't speak. It's very unusual for a television news anchor, the shul in Harnov. Oh, she's the news anchor. She's the news anchor. And she's having trouble speaking. Even when she does speak, she keeps using the same words over and over. She just can't 
even express herself. Then they move to video of Palestinians celebrating and dancing, and she is beside herself. And it's worth watching her face to remember what the word outrage means. That, that's all I'm saying. There's, there's a feeling of outrage, which we forget what that word means. When you see something and you feel helpless to change it, and the anger of the injustice, it shouldn't be that way. It is an Hirsch's words, an occurrence which we consider wrong. It's just wrong. That's not kas as in, th there's a slight difference there in the kas of I'm angry because it's not the way I think it should be and a deep feeling that this is wrong. It wasn't committed against me even. You can be equally outraged by the deep sense that something is wrong, even if it wasn't committed against you. Could be what the Pasuk and Mishpatim is telling us is that's, that's an outrage against God too, to afflict the orphan and the widow. Could be that's what it's telling us. Okay. So I think we may, might be able to say that an outrage of justice, outrage comes from the, this feeling of Af is the outrage of an injustice. Something is deeply wrong. It is not fair. It is not how it should be. Not because I want it to be that way. It's, it's wrong in the level of natural law is being violated. And perhaps that's why Haronaf is the Midas Hadin being fully asserted without Rahami. It is a correction. It is, right? Haronaf, the definition of Haronaf was a state in which the Midas Hadin is fully expressed and Midas Harachamim is completely not expressed. Maybe that's why. Maybe because this idea of Haronaf is an outrage against a violation of Din in order that the Din should be recognized. That which is right, that which is just, should be recognized. A deepening past, okay, so what does our response have to be then to recognize that there is justice? In Midas Hadin, to recognize that it is just. Hold on. Yeah, sorry. So I want to, I want to read this one other, but I, I hope you'll remember it because I want to hear what you're saying. Okay. So this is Rav, Rav Hirsch brings a Micholta on this uh, topic of the Harun Af of Hashem in response to the affliction of the widows and orphans. He brings a dialogue between Rabbi Yishmol and Rabbi Shimon as they were being led out to suffer martyrdom. They are two of the Asara Haruge Malchus. This, this dialogue teaches us what Jewish judges and Jewish consciences took this warning to mean. This warning of these verses. Rebbe Libi Yotze, said Rabbi Shimon to Rabbi Yishmol. Rebbe, my heart is failing me. I can't go beyond what Rav Hirsch says to speculate what he means by that. It's pretty bad. She'eni yodea alma ani ne'erag. I don't know why I'm being killed. It's hidden. God's face is hidden. And it's the, this suffering, and God's face is hidden. I don't know what I did to deserve death. On which Rabbi Yishmol answered, Mi'omecha ba'adam etzlechaladin Think about it. Did it never happen to you that someone came to you for a din or to ask a shaila? 
ואקבתו עד שתהא שוסה כוסךו, ונות על סנדלךו, ואותף תליסךו. Did it never happen to you that someone came to ask you a shayla, to ask you advice, to ask you a din, and you made them wait while you finished drinking your coffee or tea or drink of water or while you finished putting your shoes on. So okay, I'll put on my shoes. I'll be right there with you. Or while you put on your talus. He calls it your best robe. I'm not sure why. But you know, Ravers had something in mind when he translated it that way. Amra Torah, the Torah told you, im ane sa'ane, if you afflict someone, if you make them feel dependent. You know, it's not so easy to go and ask somebody, what should I do? You are opening yourself to being more dependent and not being able to ignore your dependency. And when the other person says, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you now, I'll have time for you soon. Even if they say it in a nice way, you know, we're not talking about something. The Torah says it doubly. Ane sa'ane, echad inoi meruba, echad inoi me'at. What's ane sa'ane? What are two inuis? What are two afflictions? One is a big affliction, and one is even a little affliction. To teach us that in making people feel their dependent position, it makes no difference whether it's big things or little things. It's always forbidden. Have you ever had it that you went to ask a Rav something and he said, I'm sorry, I'm not available? So if he calls you back, you feel better. If he says, could you please call me back, you feel a little less better. So it doesn't, doesn't have to be so painful. You could understand. He really is busy. He really has a drink in his mouth. Maybe he has to make a bracha chrona. Maybe he doesn't have his shoes on. Right? <laughs> like, but nonetheless, it's painful. It causes a person to remember that they are dependent. Amar lo. And Rabbi Shimon said to Rabbi Shimon, Nihamtani Rabbi. Comforted me, Rabbi. Now, I think as Americans, our first reaction would be, Why is that a comfort? You just reminded him that he's a sinner. <laughs> Why'd you come down hard on him? If you want to comfort someone, you tell them how wonderful they are. <laughs> right? Why is it? No, he's comforted. Why is he comforted? Because it's just. The hardest thing is if a person feels that when they're suffering, God is turned from them. And it's not God acting. And they don't see God's face and don't hear God's voice. That's the painful part. When you know that Hashem is there, right there with you, this is din. The purpose of the Kharanaf is to reveal din. That's a comfort. Not because we look at what someone else did wrong. When we realize that we did wrong, that whatever it is we're suffering, whether we're suffering to the extent of hearing about someone else's suffering, whether we're suffering because we empathize deeply with someone else's suffering, or whether the suffering is afflicted on us directly, there is a comfort in knowing that God is present, that is relevant to the Haranaf. We all are sinners. And yet, it's not directly imposed. The din is not. The din is for the whole nation. The fact that these people were chosen right. to signify. This is not to them. Din. It's not to them. They're the korban. Yes. So that's what I want. They're the korban. Thank you. Yeah. It's not. Right. This is how we have to look at the suffering that comes into the world as we experience it and as we see it, not someone else. 
the yeah. sword being exacted Thank on you. a special body is not necessary. Thank you. Right. Maybe as a nation, we as a na it is on that other. that pasuk is specifically talking to the Jewish people as a community, not to the individual. Right. Right. That would be a terrible message for me to have given over. <laughs> Thank you. And it happens to be, as you intuited, even if you didn't know it about that pasuk, that that pasuk is talking to the community as a group. Um, I didn't happen to mention it, but. Shem says, whoa, if they finally, according to Refresh, if they finally have to cry up to me, for I will surely give ear unto them, and I shall make the state and the community pay dearly for it. If their weak and unprotected ones have to appeal to me before they can find justice. It is the outrage of the injustice. A person could be hurt, but if there's justice, if you have somewhere to turn, you go to the base and you go, you go to the community, and the community will make sure that justice is done. If that is not true, then God will hear them and he will step in and force justice to be recognized, that din will be recognized, right. that that's on a communal level. Right. It's just hard for the, Very close, hard for them. the close nut that is being, being exacted from it, the, the, the korban itself. They're very, we don't know. Like, like the ten martyrs, they're the, the best of the nation. It's not possible or desirable for us to understand why? why someone else has to go through what they have to go through. What we can say, for example, from that Mechilta, is that when a person is going through something, even dying on Kiddush Hashem, that there is comfort to recognizing that there is din. There is a din and there is a dayan and that justice will be done in the end, and that justice is even being done now. And that is a comforting feeling because it means Hashem is in my midst. And he is within me, and he is there. And he has not abandoned me, he has not left me alone. We don't want anyone to have to, have to go through what Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Shimon went through. We don't have to. At the same time, this is the Pasuk, this is really the Pasuk we're reading. And it's, an, it's a, a moment in time that we're living in and experiencing on some level. And as Rev Revda has taught, and what will we do when Iraqi soldiers walk the streets of Jerusalem? So maybe it didn't have to be Iraqi soldiers. Maybe it's their cousins. It's enough, right, walking the streets of Jerusalem. We, we don't prepare ourselves to draw closer to Hashem by not thinking about pain, whether it's anticipated or actualized. What we do is we turn toward Hashem in pain, whether it's anticipated or actualized. And this is something that requires training and preparation. And we practice it in small things, hopefully pleasant things like having enough food to eat and being able to restrain ourselves from it. And we need to know that it's there for us in big things as well. And the land, if the rain doesn't fall and the heavens are closed, then what did we learn from the land not giving its produce? Land probably won't give its, I mean, that's what we understood was the problem with it not raining. And presumably the problem with it not raining is that all the things won't grow in the same, 
in the in the opposite direction of the earlier blessing that Hashem will give rain in its time, and you will have lots of harvest and plenty and for you and the animals. So the Torah didn't have to go on and tell us that the land won't give up its produce. That's extra. I could figure that out at, at the very least from looking back a few verses. So Yevula, Rashi says, Afmashatam movila, like what you what you put the effort into it. Lehovil is to like cause something to be uh, functional or effective. So, you know, you might do things, maybe you have a little bit of water and you sprinkle little drops, right? Drip irrigation. Um, actually, I don't, I think it's the, the Orachayim says it explicitly, but I seem to have lost the note. <laughs> the Orachayim says explicitly, it's it's irrigating. You're gonna if you divert rivers and you you know it's not raining, but you start diverting a water supply, and you start you know inventing hoses and and sprinklers, and so you'll you'll provide water in some other way. The land still won't give up what it has. This is you know it's not like you can just get around this sort of situation. And really, that is the ultimate message. You cannot rely upon yourselves. And you think, oh, well, then I'll do this. Oh, well, then I'll do that. That is the, the fullest extent of the situation where we're ready for Moshiach and redemption, which is a state where we've gotten to We have no one upon whom we can lean. Other than our Father in Heaven. And we can't, you know, when we realize this one won't help us and that one won't help us. And, and unfortunately, you see, you know, in that, blogosphere out there, you know, people say that's, that what that proves is we have to rely on ourselves and our army. People really come to that conclusion. You see you can't rely on the United Nations. You see you can't rely on the United States. You see you can't rely on Europe. You see you can't, right? One thing after another, and therefore we need to only turn to ourselves and rely on ourselves. And what the Torah is telling us is Haaretz lo It won't give up even for that which you put into it if it's because Hashem is holding it back. So this is the, this, that is the end level of we have no one upon whom to rely other than Hashem. And when we realize that, then we hope that we, we turn back to the next psukim where we are facing Hashem and we are serving Hashem. And this brings us back to a state of Geulah, that God's voice is hidden from us. Um, is a different machlokas in the Gemara about the degree of the haster haster. Is God's voice hidden from us? Is all all recognition of Him hidden from us? And uh, our job is to recognize it, even though sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's hard to face Hashem when we feel that He's hurting us or rejecting us. We feel angry. We want to turn and lash back by turning away, or we have difficulty accepting that that our own deeds have been a problem and that we need to change them and that that is a part of a healthy loving relationship is being able to say I did wrong and I want to do better and I want to be close and that's our voda and it's harder in times like this because it's darker and because it's more hidden and yet it is exactly what we need to do and uh, next week sort of lost a certain amount of time. I think what we'll do next week is we'll, we'll finish one last um, couple thoughts on this verse and move to 
happier verses. And happier times as well, I hope.